What's up, y'all, and welcome to another episode of Worldly Church Girl. It's your girl, your host, Lillian Harshaw. On today's show, I have a fantasy author, an entrepreneurial speaker, an exotic animal veterinarian, and she happens to be a reoccurring guest. It gives me great honor to reintroduce to you Savannah J. Goins. You are an entrepreneurial speaker and a fantasy novelist, but you also teach. But what you teach is how to value failure. And I love that. Tell us about that. So a lot, uh, a lot of things, pretty much anything people want to do in life, any kind of like following your dreams or accomplishing big things, what everybody has to go through is a lot of failure because generally there's not really any such thing as an overnight success. There's a lot of things that go wrong along the way, a lot of having to figure things out, a lot of having to find a new approach or, you know, finding out that your dream actually changes along the way. And I think a lot of people can get so discouraged by failure early on, you know, when they're comparing themselves to people who've been working at it for 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 more years. And you can just feel so discouraged. And I think that a lot of really amazing people who could have done really amazing things didn't just because they got so discouraged with failure. Cause, cause nobody says on Instagram how much they failed before they reached, you know, this great point, or if they do, it's not until way after they've reached, you know, big goals people are jealous of. Nobody tells you along the way as they're failing. And so it, it can feel like you're the only one who's failing over and over again and who everything is going wrong for. So I think it's really important for people to, um, have a better understanding of how much people have to fail along the way. It's just a rite of passage. There's just some things go wrong. It's great to learn from other people's failures as much as you can. Um, but you know, you're still going to have to go through some things that just don't work right as you go and, you know, have to change and adjust the way you do things. And that's okay. That's a normal thing. Everybody has to go through that. And I think the more people are aware that it's a normal thing, the more people will find the strength in themselves to push through and keep trying despite everything that's going wrong. Now, what advice do you give to someone that has failed more than once? And they're just like, I just can't, I just cannot do this anymore. What advice do you give them? Well, I think a really, really great story that explains the advice the best way is something that Elizabeth Gilbert said. There was a a really um, successful author who was having a book signing for like his 10th book or something. And there were crowds there and, you know, he was probably a New York Times bestseller and somebody else um, who was there, who was also an author, asked him a question. He said, sir, I have done everything you have done. I'm the same age as you. I've been writing as long as you, but I have none of this success. And like, what, what am I doing wrong? How, how can I have the success that you have? And if one more person tells me to just persevere, I'm going to just pitch a fit because I'm so tired Mm -hmm. of hearing that. And the successful author said, I'm not going to tell you to persevere. I wouldn't dream of doing that. I'm going to tell you to quit, which everybody was shocked. You know, like, why would you tell somebody to quit? That's so discouraging. But he says, we've only got one life to live. And if if you're not enjoying what you're doing with your life, then you're wasting it. Like, even if you do eventually achieve this great goal, like if you hated everything you did along the way to get to it, then is it actually worth it? Because you've only got one life. So um, he ended up telling the author that if he, if he's, if he's just not finding success and not happy with what he's doing, he should quit and do something else, search out other hobbies, try 
fishing, boating, collecting antiques, whatever he has an interest in, anything but writing, if writing is making him so miserable. But then he said, if after trying all these other things, you find that nothing else brings you the joy and the excitement of trying to write, then I'm afraid that you have no choice but to persevere in writing. And that story just hit me so hard because it, it's just like you're never guaranteed success. So you need to find something that you enjoy doing enough that even if you don't have huge success and even if you can't, you know, compare yourself to other people who've done the same thing and are super successful and find that you're equal to them in that way, that you've enjoyed the journey along the way as you've been pursuing this big goal. Like maybe your goal is to be a New York Times bestseller, but even if you don't reach that, did you enjoy the many, many years you spent writing trying to get there? And so I guess that's kind of a long answer, but what I'm trying to say is if you failed multiple times and um, you, you've decided that you don't care anymore or it's just making you so upset that you'd rather do anything else, then maybe it is, maybe it is time to pursue looking at something else. Maybe this is not what you're meant to do and it's not what you actually enjoy enough to do to spend your life on. And maybe you should try finding something else. But if you find that these other things that you try don't make you as happy as trying at the other thing, then maybe the other thing is worth spending your life on. Even if you don't reach the big success that you'd like to, maybe it's worth doing that just because it's what you enjoy doing. And you've only got one life to live. So, I mean, why not spend it doing something you enjoy, even if you're never majorly successful at it? That's an awesome answer. That's an awesome answer. Because, I mean most of us have a hobby or something that we love doing and don't necessarily make money off of it or get successful from it. And we feel so discouraged, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Now you emailed me a quote that helped you as a teenager. I want you to share that quote with everyone. Yeah, so paraphrasing, um, this is a quote by Eric Liddell, who's a famous Olympic gold medalist, and he um, he was a Christian, and he um, he was being reprimanded by a relative of his who thought that he was neglecting some of his religious responsibilities because he was spending so much time running and trying to stay, you know, keep his body in fit shape to run in the Olympics, and he said, um, paraphrasing. I I know that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And that just gives me chills. It's such, such a good, such a good quote. And it reminds me of the verse in, I think it's in first Timothy that says, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. He doesn't give you passions and creativity and things that just delight you for you not to use them. I mean, there certainly can be ways that, you know, like, Drinking alcohol is fun, but doesn't necessarily mean that you should spend your life doing that. You know, like there are, there are certain <laughs> things, things pleasure that are um, not necessarily things you should do all the time, but things like being creative and making things that you can bring to the world. I mean, God doesn't give you those desires and those things that just delight you and light you up and make you so happy inside for no reason. And I think that Eric Liddell is a great example of that because he's he's not saying that he's going to, you know, abandon Christianity or that he'd rather be a runner than be a Christian. He's saying, I know God gave me a purpose and he also gave me 
of body that can run fast and I love running fast. And when I run, I feel him being excited with me that I'm doing this thing that brings me so much joy. And that was something that really stuck out to me when I was a teenager. And I was, I was a very nerdy teenager (laughs) and I was obsessed with reptiles. I had a lot of pet lizards and I loved books about dragons. I still have pet lizards and love books about dragons that has never changed. (laughs) But as a teenager, I felt a lot of pressure to, you know, put those things of me aside to be cool and try to fit in with regular people who were not obsessed with lizards and books about dragons. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time at uh, a church retreat when I was probably 15 or 16, I heard this quote and I thought, oh my goodness, I know God made me for a purpose, but he also gave me this love for weird exotic animals and when I am like you know interacting with them or you know back then I wasn't working in them with like in medical situations but whenever I was interacting with them like finding them outside or watching animal planet shows about them like it delighted me and just made me so excited and fascinating and like it's the kind of thing I love hearing like random trivia about that you you know you might never need to know but it's just interesting facts that just make you say oh that's cool and that just just helped me keep that piece of my identity when I was a teenager, even though everybody told me it wasn't cool. And I'm so glad I held on to that. <laughs> right. Because it brings me so much delight still, you know, 10 years later. And I think it will probably for forever because I'm not planning on ever ditching that part of myself. And, you know, it's, it's expanded into other things in my life. I did go on to get my um, degree in veterinary technology and uh, I worked exclusively at exotic animal at an exotic animal clinic um, with my degree where I worked with like rats, birds, snakes, lizards, some alligators, an anaconda, a tiger, a few tigers, like everything wow. from beta fish to tigers. And that that is one of the best experiences of my life. And I don't work there anymore. I had to change jobs in order to facilitate other pursuits in my life. But that is one of the greatest experiences I ever had. And I would not have had that experience if I had listened to everybody else telling me to fit in and be cool instead of listening to like God gave me this immense pleasure in this thing that not a lot of other people necessarily understand. And I held on to it. And I, I had that quote come back up in my life recently, and it reminded me of that. And it just it stuck out to me so much. And it was just like all the feels. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote because when you sent it to me, I'm like, that's deep. That mm-hmm. is really deep. With you writing so many novels, which one would you say was your hardest one for you to complete? I feel like currently, whichever one I've just completed always feels like the hardest one. <laughs> <laughs> I just sent the third book in my trilogy to my editor. And because I wrote the first draft of it, Uh, a few years ago and then recently came back to it after improving a lot as a writer getting getting back into that draft from old me was really challenging (laughs) there was there I I've my process has improved a lot and I have a lot less messiness to my revisions now but that book that I wrote a while ago that I just revised um was quite quite an effort to revise because I just, I've learned a lot about outlining and drafting since then. So I would say that one at this point. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, what was it when you looked at it, you was like, oh my God, what in, what in the world? <laughs> I was like, how do I make a book out of this? <laughs> there were so many places where I, I, w- I would like, I'd write a scene and then I'd, I'd be like in parentheses, fight scene happens here. And then I'd go on, and I'd skip that and I'd go on to the next scene. And, and there were so many scenes that I thought I had written Mm -hmm. that I had just put in parentheses, this happens. 
So coming back in to fill in all of the things that I had not filled in, that was very time consuming. <laughs> and you was like, what was I thinking? What happened? What was this happening? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> now, which one would you say flowed out of you just like water? Well, the one that I'm currently drafting right now, I'd say, has flowed out of me the most. I got an idea actually from a Bible story in church earlier this summer, and uh, just the first, I, I wrote like t- almost 20,000 words of an outline for a five-book series just from this one idea over really? the summer, just in a couple of weeks. That did, it just all flowed, and then I wrote the first like 15,000 words in the book, and I just wrote the last... 30,000 words in eight days. I wrote 30,000 words during national novel writing month. And that is, a, that is a personal best for me. That's I've never written that much that close together. So that, that really is, you know, quite the flow. Definitely the most of the most a book has ever flowed out of me before. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank so, you. I'm assuming that we can't get like a tidbit of what it's about. Oh, I I can give you a tidbit, actually. Let me pull up uh, my little blurb that I can read for you. It's Mela's 16th year, and finally her turn to find out what animal will manifest from her chosen weapon to be her lifelong companion and comrade. Yet she fails to call her castling from her instrument of war, and instead brings her forth from a contraband instrument of music. But when Mela gets caught and her illegal castling is sentenced to death by shattering, Mela uncovers an even bigger secret that could save her castling's life. With the help of a long-forgotten prisoner, a mean girl, and some spiked punch, Mela takes a stab at the wrong bad guy. Ooh. In the very first line there, we have the animals, because I can't write a book that doesn't have animals is a very important part. (laughs) Right. And which brings me to my next question. If you could materialize any character of your books, who would it be? Or what would it be and why? I'd have to say at this point, it would be my character, Very. Uh, He's like a flying squirrel character. Um, He's based on a flying squirrel. He's bigger, though. He's uh, just the comic relief, funny, hilarious character that comes in, shows up in book two of my series that's published right now. Actually, um, I think you can see this. I know that our listeners can't see the video, but I actually have here a... Uh, plushie of Barry that somebody made for me with his little wings and everything and his little his little bangs his side bangs <laughs> yes he is my favorite character and I would probably bring him out to be my friend in real life because he's so fun and so snarky and witty and just so much fun <laughs> <laughs> now what would your husband think about him oh he would think he was hilarious <laughs> oh, okay I think he would enjoy hanging out with him just as much as I would <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah Now, as an author, do you ever find yourself wanting to rewrite someone else's book? Uh, I would say I often, when I see things I've written in the past, I often think I should rewrite them. (laughs) As I I improve and I I see old things I wrote, I'm like, oh, no, I wrote that. No. (laughs) But with other people's books, not so much. I'm a lot more critical than I used to be of reading other people's work, which sometimes is disappointing because I I like to read just to enjoy it. But I I know a lot more about the craft now and often see problems I wouldn't have seen um, earlier on before I had written so much and, you know, taken so many classes and learned so much about it. Um, I don't usually find other people's books that I'd want to rewrite, but I do sometimes see things that I'm I think they could have done better. Oh, really? <laughs> Which I hate to say I hate to be so critical, but 
you know, when you spend so much time immersed and obsessed in something, you, you can't really help but learn some of the, like, you know, downsides of it as well. Right. Is it grammar or is it the show and tell? Some of both. Most books I've read are edited well enough that it's not grammar problems. Uh, but sometimes it's, you know, how... What bugs me the most, I think, is reading things that a character wouldn't actually do. Like, you know, somebody, I, I've read several chapters, I've gotten to know this character, and then they make the character go and do something that is not true to who they've presented the character to be, mm-hmm. and doesn't actually make just to move the plot in the direction they want. And I, it's kind of like a, a cheap shortcut that they should have, mm-hmm. like, foreshadowed better. That's something that really bugs me. If you were not doing what you're doing right now, what do you think you would be doing? Oh, gosh, I can't imagine. I think I would be very sad (laughs) because I love what I'm doing right now so much. I can't imagine what else I would do. I mean, really, the only other thing I might have done was go and be a vet, which I'm glad I didn't do because I wouldn't have been able to pursue writing and the exotic animal side of things as much if I had done that. And like, I am really not one who loves college. Like I love learning whenever I need to learn something. I love looking it up and finding it out and using that useful information. Um, But I just like college was like something I did because I had to and not necessarily because I really enjoyed it. And going to college for 10 years to be a vet and specialize in exotics would not have been very fun for me. So I don't I think I think I might still be in like graduate school right now if I or in vet school right now if I were pursuing that direction. So I'm very glad not to be in vet school. And I'm very glad to have had the experience that I had with the exotic animals at that clinic that I wouldn't have had until much, much later in life if I had even been able to get there as like a veterinary resident. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I don't know. I think the only other thing I could do really probably was that. I can't imagine doing anything else, though, because I really love what I'm doing right now so much. Um, how many pets do you have right now? Because I know you had <laughs> quite a few the last time we talked. Yes, right now I have a, a green iguana who's actually yellow because she's albino, and I have a bearded dragon, and I have six rats and a dog. So what's that? Seven? No, six, seven, eight, nine. That's nine. <laughs> nine. How did yes. you? Okay, I can't even look at a mouse or a rat. So six of them? Yes. So if you go and Google like pet rats doing tricks, you will find all these great YouTube videos of rats doing these really adorable tricks. They're incredibly intelligent and highly trainable. And um, I've, I recently got these ones because they actually came in from a, uh, an intake of, um, I think a few hundred rats from someone who was hoarding them. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the rescues I work with, the Pips Weekery, is what their name is, the Pips Weekery. They had a whole bunch of animals come in and asked if I could take some. So I took six, and uh, so they're rescue rats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just really want to try training them and see see what I can do with it because I've seen so many people do really cool things, and I think that if they could be trained to accept veterinary care more comfortably besides just to do their fun tricks. Like if they could be trained to take some nasty medicine in a syringe in exchange for a treat that right. would make medicating sick rats so, so much easier. And, you know, our lots and lots of people actually have pet rats, even though some people might think that they're really gross. They have been portrayed to be gross and like sewer rats, you know, are gross, but our, our domestic pet rats are actually really cute and sweet and soft and um, just incredibly intelligent. Uh, so, okay, so you haven't trained them yet, so you're working on it. I'm working on it, yeah. It's a process. You can train oh. them really quickly, but with all of my, all of the, the my 
other book being due to my editor and starting the NaNoWriMo book, I've been pretty busy with that recently. Okay. Now, are you still in love with coffee and dark chocolate? Oh, yes, I am. I've been <laughs> drinking a little more tea than coffee recently. I go through phases, but chocolate and I, we're, we're always close. <laughs> now, with COVID going around, have you been like overdoing it with the dark chocolate? <laughs> a little bit. I, I discovered dark chocolate. Well, I, I had discovered dark chocolate covered coffee beans in the past um, from like a specialty shop somewhere. But I discovered that Kroger has them in their uh, little like trail mix aisle. Oh, my goodness. It's like five bucks for this giant container of dark chocolate covered coffee beans. And yeah, that's my new weakness. <laughs> I've gone through so much of them. They're so good. <laughs> I did not know that. Mm-hmm. If you have like a handful of them, it's like a shot of caffeine because it's just straight coffee beans with, you know, the, there's some sweetness in the chocolate, but also a little bit of caffeine in the chocolate, too, I think. So, you know, a few of them can help you wake up in the morning. <laughs> right. So how can people contact you? So the best way to contact me, you can just go to savannahjgoins.com and hit the contact button in the um, top on the top menu list. And my email is right there and there's a contact form you can fill out. Um, I'm also really active on Instagram. So the, the next best place to find me is there. Okay. So here's your last question. You've answered it, but you might switch up on me. Okay. So we'll see. So if yeah. you can have any song be your theme song, when you walk into a room, what would it be and why? I think that is probably still stayed the same. Was it I Hope You Dance last time? Yep. <laughs> yes. That is just that is just my life song. It just my next tattoo is gonna have is gonna have to do with that. It's gonna say I hope you dance with um some other stuff. But I that song just means so much to me about um, I hope I hope you never fear those mountains in the distance, the, the things you're going to have to overcome, the failures, the challenges. I hope you don't fear those things and you do them anyway. And I hope that you you dance, you you not necessarily actually do a dance, but like just what it means is I hope that you're not the wallflower who's afraid to try things. But I hope that you go out, put yourself out there, take risks, have fun, discover new things. Live you can life. Do. Yes, just live life. So. That song is still my seat, that my theme song for my life. I think if I had to choose a secondary song, it might be Defying Gravity from the Wicked Broadway performance. Oh, I because, love that. Yes. Oh, it's so good. Yes. Just, <laughs> oh, I, I, listen, I just belt that out at the top of my lungs um, very often. That's, that's a very good one. <laughs> I love that. Now, where would you yeah. get the tattoo at? Oh, that is a great question. I've only had one tattoo before and I liked it, but I might end up trying another place. A lot of people have recommended other places to me. I don't know what they're called off the top of my head. Oh, you're not talking about where though. You're talking about where on my body I would get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the place. <laughs> um, potentially on my shoulder or potentially mm -hmm. on my ankle. I okay. kind of want to get it on my ankle, but I don't know if it would all fit. Because I, I actually want to get the the mountain with the dragon over it from The Hobbit, Ooh, like be... the Hobbit book map. Yeah, and I cool. wanted to say I hope you dance underneath because it looks like they don't go together. So I want people to ask me what it means because I love to hear people's like the story of why people got a tattoo that they did. I love hearing that, and I love to explain mine to people too. So I like that they they look like they don't match. Um, and then I hope you dance is just such an important phrase to me from that song. And the mountain is just representing the mountains from the song, but then also like that I write fantasy and the, the fantasy books that I write and that I want to write in the future. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if that'll fit on your ankle. That's, that's a lot. 
I know. I don't think it will. I don't think it will. But I'll, I'll, I'll see. We'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll find an artist and talk to them about it and see. I, I could put it on my arm. Maybe I just, I want to put it somewhere that I can see it. It might be a good like shoulder blade one, but I can't see it. So I want to put it somewhere <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> well, I mean, let me see your wrist inside your wrist. Yeah, I've, I, I could. I've got my first tattoo is on my forearm and it's the dragon from my book map with the phrase make good art from the Neil Gaiman commencement speech. I like that. I don't know if I want to use that by other forearm yet, though. I think I'm too young. <laughs> I think that there's going to be more important things that mean a lot to me in my life and I might want to use my other forearm for something else. So okay. I don't know yet. Well, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you, Savannah, for being on the show. I enjoy every time we get to talk. We talk a lot, even on and off the show, and it's always a pleasure. And if you would like to be on Worldly Church Girl, click the link below, shoot me an email, and let's see what we can do with that thing. And have you subscribed? Why not? What are you waiting for? There's so many more episodes to come, And the one that you missed, you might as well back up and take a listen. And did you know Worldly Church Girl has gone live? You need to check it out. You can catch me on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, or better yet, just ask a friend. And as always, thanks for joining your one and only Worldly Church Girl.